Welcome to Arena Athletes, your home for MTG Arena Strategy. Step inside the digital arena with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Brought to you by Face to Face Games. You're listening to Arena Athletes number 118. It's Elemental, my dear Watson. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. How are you, sir? I'm handsome, David. How are you? I'm fantastic. How was your uh, fandom tournament today, not as a caster, though, as a player this time around? Yeah, as it turns out, um, Show and Alexander Hain are actually pretty good at standard magic, and I need a little bit of practice. Uh, so tune into the stream. I will be playing some. But like they, they organized this event as initially the, the first post that led to this was, let's do a fun event for our casters. Maybe something like Singleton would be nice. But as it turned out, a couple of the casters couldn't make it. And they decided people really wanted to watch Standard anyway, and we need some more people to play. So we basically ended up with me and Krim in a nightmare top eight of a Pro Tour scenario, playing against Sho, Alexander Haynes, Shahar Shinhar, Brad Nelson, um, Paolo. God, there was somebody else, and it was just an, as an impressive name, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. Oh, Siggy, Michael Sigrist. Like, one of these people does not belong like my mom asked me what I did today and I was trying to explain this and I realized I didn't really have the words. And I said, okay, imagine that an amateur, cause I was like, you know, standard isn't really my format now it's going to be in the future, but it's not now. So I said, imagine an amateur goes to fight Mike Tyson in his prime. She kind of cringed a little bit. And I said, now imagine it's an amateur golfer and you kind <laughs> of understand what I was up against today. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, uh, but it, it's given me an incentive to, to, dive more into standards the next time something this comes up i'm not cramming the night before jamming games with you <laughs> thank you by the way uh but instead i'm feeling confident you know two weeks before that everything's fine yeah you're gonna need a little bit of practice if you're gonna go up against the likes of brad nelson best standard player in the world at least on average right now so yeah um, i was looking at the pairings after i lost the first round and was like okay i have to play the the loser of Brad versus Alex. And I thought my deck was better against Brad's. And I was like, am I actually saying, I hope I get paired into Brad Nelson? Like, is that a realistic thing that I want? I, that can't be what I want. Yeah, brand new sentence. Something that has never been uttered yeah. in the history of man. Right no there. one's ever said that. Well, it was fun to watch you anyway, and it's cool that you uh, got to play. Um, the tournament itself was fun, short, nice little thing to watch uh, between events on Thursdays. So uh, looking forward to see what the next set comes oh, uh, yeah. with for, for Standard. Um, some neat little sideboard cards and color hosers for sure. So it's uh, be a nice little interesting rotation anyway. Usually with a core set, we don't get a ton of stuff. So I'm looking forward to see what we do. But in the meantime you know, ro uh, rotation week, or not rotation week, but new set week always means sealed on Magic Arena, as well as a preview event, which we are doing on the 1st, which happens to be Canada Day, so I actually get the day off. Uh, Wizards invited you and myself separately to do the, to participate in the streamer preview event, I guess it's called. We do this every set. Um, we both got hooked up with 
you know, a free account. Everything's unlocked. Now this doesn't apply to our regular account. It's just for the day. But we get to go and we get to jam a bunch of sealed, a little bit of draft, and standard, should we so choose. I'm going to be doing, doing sealed all day. It's going to be great. Um, and we get to stream it on Twitch. So thanks to Wizards for that. And come and check that out if you're listening to the podcast on the morning of the 1st, which is tomorrow from the date of recording. Uh, you can catch us probably starting around 9 or 10. I don't know when you're going, but um, I'll be playing most of the day. I don't know if I'll be streaming most of the day, but I'll definitely be playing. Yeah, same. I, I, as soon as I'm awake and ready to go, I will start streaming it, and then I will stop when I am too hungry to continue. Okay, so let's just dive right in. Yep. M20. For those that are new to Magic, what's the general theme of a core set uh, compared to other sets? They used to call them master sets or expert level sets in the past. Uh, what's, a, what's a core set usually do? What's the goal of a core set? The goal typically for a core set is to get back to bread and butter limited magic gameplay where the colors kind of do what they're supposed to do. We also typically have less complicated mechanics, just cards that sort of function on their own. There may still be some build around shenanigans and some some vague themes to follow and like some neat payoffs for going all in on a particular strategy. But generally speaking, when you're sitting down to play sealed or draft a core set, you would expect red to have burn spells and it will have them. You wouldn't expect black to have counter spells and it won't. Although you could see that in expert level sets. I'm looking at you, Time Spiral. So like you, the, the, the color pie will do what you expect it to. And the cards, generally speaking, are built to function on their own uh, with, without a lot of synergies. And in the past, you know, core sets have been regarded as lower power level. But that's not necessarily the case all of the time. So as we'll go through this, we'll see kind of what the power level is. But uh, the last core set was pretty decent power level wise. I remember there was some pretty good removal in that set, but then we've also had sets in the past, um, core sets in the past where the power level was insane, where we had, I think it was like M14 or M13, which was the, the Titans at mythic and Thrag Tusk at rare and things like that. So, um, it varies from, from set to set. Uh, so we're going to go through this and we're kind of see what the power level is, but on first glance, it looks like a very interesting set to draft. Um, I didn't enjoy the previous core set as much, you enjoyed it I liked a fair it. bit, we talked about. Um, but generally speaking for me, I like non-core sets. Um, that's just how it's been for me so far. But, you know, I'm sure there's a core set out there that will wow me or that'll I'll have a lot of fun drafting. So we'll see if this is the one. They did say there was a push to put stronger cards at common, uh, which actually makes me happy. And we've certainly seen that borne out here. I'm, and we'll get to some of those key ones as we go through and do the, the kind of card evaluation. But I think that's overall a good thing for Limited. It just means there will be more answers at Common for you to find. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we're going to start. We're going to go look at the the multicolored Uncommons, uh, or at least the ones we think we think stand out here. So generally speaking in a set, you're going to see your theme in the multicolor cards. Uh, they're, they're flag posts or, or uh, signposts for what the, the colors should do. And this set is kind of interesting. Um, it looks like there's five kind of core themes, um, but they straddle the wedges. So if you're not sure what a wedge is, those are color combinations of uh, allied and enemy uh, colors. So if you're looking at the back of a magic card, you see that the five dots. Um, if you pick green, for example, the wedge is Sultai, which is blue and black. They're on the opposite side of, of that one. And it looks like that's kind of what, what the themes are here. So if you look at the Jeskai colors... It looks like you're looking at, at flyers is your theme because our uncommon in the flyer uh, or in the uh, multicolor spot is uh, gives plus one plus one to other creatures you control with flying. 
And you see in the um, the teamer colors, we see probably an elemental theme because we see Creeping Shell Blazer there in the in the multicolor spot. Um, and when you're looking at kind of the commons and uncommons, you're going to see elementals are straddling the teamer colors and, and things like that. So it looks like we're, we have this kind of like, you know, you can go around the the five different wedges and draft almost any two of those those color combos in, in the three colors of the wedge and potentially splash for the third and have a lot of your cards play well together with each other. So um, did I miss that? I know you did the full set re- review with Ethan already, but is that kind of the gist of this, just looking at the multicolor cards? Yeah, if you're looking for synergy, that's where you'll find it. I would, again, encourage people to recognize that there's not a ton of synergy in core sets like we're used to in expert level sets. Uh, but if you're looking for it, yes, that's where you'll find it. And one of the synergies is indeed flyers. So like there's strong flyers in white and blue, which we're kind of used to, and also red, which pops up every now and then, but isn't in every set. Right. Okay. So we're going to start at the top with the multicolor cards, the uncommons here. We have Corpse Knight, which is uh, white and a black for a 2-2 zombie knight. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent loses one life. This kind of indicates that you're going wide or you're making a lot of creatures, potentially a lot of tokens in these colors. And the theme seems to be the Abzan colors so that we'll see this in green and white um, and green, black potentially as well. We'll see those themes kind of straddle each other. Um, What's your take on Corpse Knight? Are you going to be jamming this as your kind of a premium two drop? Is this a reason to pull you into the the uh the orzov colors here or is this a card you're going to pick up late this is something that i would want later after i've already got the deck that can use it it's it's kind of like a payoff for that strategy and there's other payoffs for it even at common uh like we've got inspiring charge in the set so like if you're going wide there's already good ways to do that it didn't look like there was great repeatable sacrifice effects especially for free which is something you'd look at for like this to finish the game but this is a strong card that i would certainly include honestly in any white black deck and given the themes of this set probably every white black deck i just don't think i pick this and go in i think i get this later after i've gone in Mm -hmm. and then where do you see this fitting into the mardu colors then I guess we'll see that as we go further here. But when you did the full set review, what did you? What was Red's tie into this theme in, in the black and white theme? Uh, there's a good bit of the elemental cards that make more than one creature. Um, we'll get to that as we go through it as well. I think there was a four drop that came into play with two one ones um, and various cards that are producing elementals that are temporary. Uh, so the idea is like you're you're getting multiple cards for one card. They're going to come into play, drain your opponent, uh, and then disappear. So I, I think that's kind of what the red piece was. Okay, interesting. Uh, next up, one of my probably favorite uncommons uh, in this multicolored batch is the Creeping Trailblazer. This is a uh, green and red for a 2-2 elemental. Elemental is a theme across a lot of these cards. Keep that in mind. Other elementals you can control get plus one, plus zero. And you can pay two red and green. Creeping Trailblazer gets plus one, plus one until end of turn for each elemental you control. This is an elemental, so it's plus one, plus one right out of the gate. A little expensive for that. Um, but if I did my math correctly, there are 19 creatures at common and uncommon that uh, are elementals. And I believe there's... I don't think there's any more that make elementals. I think those are at rare, if I remember correctly that aren't already elementals themselves. So that's quite a few elementals um, that are just incidental. Like you're just going to play the creature anyway, and they're already an elemental. So I think this has really good value. I do too. Um, I also think that it's something that, again, I would just put in any red-green deck, even if I don't have other elementals. I think it's closer to something I'm interested in picking early than the Corpse Knight. However, I still feel like this one is not quite 
first pickable for me because again you have to remember there's attacks when you're picking gold cards and that's how likely am i to put this in your deck uh and this one doesn't i I don't quite think it's something i'd splash for although it's close and honestly that's a good thing when we're talking about these uncommons because it means more often than not they'll go to the people who are in those colors and reward them for getting into those colors uh but i like this card a lot and it certainly has a lot of synergies uh and it could play nicely with the blue elementals as well because many of them have flying one of the interesting things as I was going through the set is there's not really a decision you have to make, but you certainly have to make sacrifices uh, if you're deciding to splash. There are a lot of double and triple pip casting cost spells, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are good. So you kind of have to think to yourself, okay, am I going to splash this Creeping Trailblazer in my uh, blue-green elemental deck? If I'm doing that, am I doing that at a cost of not being able to play you know, one of my premium green two, two drops that is green, green to cast, mm-hmm. right? I'm not going to be able to cast that on time as frequently if I have to play three red sources to splash this. So I think there's some interesting decisions to be made as you're going through the draft and going through your deck building. So uh, we'll have to see how the fixing plays out and how those triple and double pips uh, actually cost you in this draft format. For sure. So next up, I think this is this is my favorite one. I think this is my top pick. I have this rated as my top pick out of these gold uncommons and probably one that I will first pick often out of a lot of packs. It's the Empyrean Eagle. One white blue for a 2-3 bird spirit. That's a pretty good rate right there. Like To get three toughness for uh, in the air for a flyer uh, for three mana is really good. And then other creatures you control flying get plus one, plus one. Yeah, this one's pretty nutty because it's a lord for power and toughness. And it's not really asking you to do anything else other than play flyers. I do think this is one of the betters out of the set. It points you straight at what you're supposed to be doing, which is just picking creatures with flying. And I think short of a premium removal spell in a pack, I would first pick this one quite happily. Yeah, I'm I'm splashing this quite often. So looking forward to never getting to play with this because I'll never open it. Uh, Ironwood, <laughs> Iron Root Warlord is one green-white for a star five. Uh, Treefolk Soldier, not an elemental, unfortunately. Uh, its power is equal to the number of creatures you control, so by default it's a 1-5 for 3. And then you can spend 5 mana, 3 green-white, to create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token. I like this guy too, uh, and this is another one. I think it's my second favorite out of the batch. Um, I could see myself first picking this uh, over a lot of things other than, again, premium removal spells. Mana sinks and core sets are usually hard to come by, and there's not a lot to do with your mana after you've played the 6th or 7th land in most cases. So just having something you can do, even if it's not great, in this case it's 5 mana to make a 1-1. One, one. Nobody's excited about that. You wouldn't play a 5 mana 1-1. One, one. But when you staple it onto a 1-5 that grows as the game goes on, all of a sudden that starts to be useful. Uh, so I, I like this one quite a bit, and it does fit that theme of green-white wanting to go wide. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I have it below the Empyrean Eagle. Me too. Um, but not by much, right? Like, it, it's in that next tier down, but it's not by much for me. Uh, next up is the Lightning Stormkin. Uh, red and a blue for a 2-2 flying elemental wizard with haste. And this kind of points us back into that uh, position again of like, hey, blue-red is actually a flyer color in this core set as well. Many mm-hmm. of the sets that we've seen basically since Hour of Devastation, I think, even before, maybe in an Emma Cat, Blue-Red was kind of a Spells Matter deck. 
And there were various payoffs there, whether it was prowess creatures or some build around uncommons that cared about how many spells you'd cast. And that's not what blue red is doing this time. It's looking to kill you with flyers and then play blue and red removal spells. Uh, and I think this points you right to that. It's also hinting that there's the elemental things going on here because this creature isn't elemental on its own. Um, and it's a hasty creature. Like, this one's not bad, but it's another one that, like, I'm not first picking this. Uh, if I'm in blue-red and I see this go by, absolutely I want it. Mm-hmm. This is not a card I don't... I don't think this is a card you're going to splash for. Nope. But this is, like, a card you might splash... Um a green and elemental or something like that. Like that, uh, maybe not the, well, maybe the Lord you might splash if you got a bunch of blue and red elementals. Um, but I think this, yeah, this, this goes if you're red and blue or your, if, if they're your main colors, um, and it doesn't really fit into those wedges very well. Yeah. Like you, it, you're not really putting it in just because it's hard to cast. And you're not really putting it into teamer because it's hard to cast. So I think this falls way down on the, uh, on the gold ladder for me, which is unfortunate. Um, probably end up playing it in standard wizards in some some capacity though wouldn't surprise me a bit all right moldervine reclamation is our golgari card three black green for an enchantment which is bizarre to me that all the other ones are creatures and this one's an enchantment but here we are whenever a creature you control dies you gain one life and draw a card yeah sadly this one's just not a good card um there was a three black black enchantment in the last one that major dies guys die into zombies and I had a lot of fun with that card, but it wasn't actually good. This one is useful as it's again pointing to us that like the the Abzan wedge, the black green white wedge is interested in going wide and then having creatures die. But you have to have something die just to replace this, and you've spent five mana for that effect. Uh, like playing cards like this is a great way to lose a game. So I don't think I'm even playing this one. Probably not even in most of my black green decks. I'll try it, I'm sure, before the format's over, because, I mean, these things are always fun, but I don't think it's good. Yeah, I mean, realistically, this the be- what's the best thing you can do with this card, and how good is that even, or how hard is that to do? The best thing you can do with this card is play it on a board with a bunch of Death Touchers and then start plunking away at your opponent. Right? And, and they either take damage or lose their... Well... That's not even that great. Yeah, and now you're I'm, getting. I'm it. struggling to come up. I'm struggling to come up with what the best case scenario is. The worst case scenario is you have no board and this just doesn't do anything, or you're ahead and this doesn't do anything. At at five mana, your opponent's probably used a bunch of removal already anyway, mm-hmm. so you're not going to get cards off of their removal. I guess that's the only thing that it can do reliably is it can blank blank with air quotes your opponent's removal, but they still get to get through. Um, after they've used their removal. So, yeah, I think I'm out on this one. I think it's my lowest rated for sure. Yeah, I, I don't, like right. I said, I don't think it's good, but it does give us an idea of what Black Green is interested in doing. Yeah, um, we didn't, we'll go through this, but I don't think there's like a ton of sacrifice outlets or, or effects either. So, like, it's not even that you can make a bunch of tokens and then sacrifice them easily to get this effect. Agree. All right, Ogre Siegebreaker is two Black Red for a 4 3 Ogre Berserker. You're in on this card already, and then with the activated ability to black-red, destroy target creature that was dealt damage this turn. So when we get into the Mardu Wedge, we start to see overlap between the uh, already black-white theme of let's make a bunch of dudes and the teamer thing of let's make a bunch of elementals. So you can end up with some decks that are looking to send a bunch of 1-1s in. And this is a way to incentivize your opponent to either not block them and take damage or threaten to kill something if they actually do block them. So it's kind of like a reverse Lord in that it's it's sort of daring them to block them. 
Uh, it's interesting in that I think this card would have worked better in a set with Raid, where you can just kind of force through damage to turn on your Raid. So it's kind of neat that like it exists here. But I, I think it's, again, giving us that theme of like Black Red by itself could just be throwing little things in, trying to chip away. Um, or when you add in that, that Mardu piece, the white, you've got a lot of tokens running around in red and white. Yeah, I'm genuinely curious to see how well this card plays. Um, I have it in my second tier. It's still below the Eagle, but I think this will be a high pickup if you're in these colors. Agree. All right, Risen Reef. Uh, One green blue for a 1-1 elemental. Uh, When it or another elemental enters the battlefield, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, put it on the battlefield tapped. If you don't, put the card onto the battlefield, put it into your hand instead. I have to drag this up a tier in my list because I didn't realize that it was other elementals as well. Yeah, this one's actually pretty good. Uh, I think it's right up there with the blue-white one in that if there's not premium removal in the pack, I'm probably taking this. Um, Just because, again, it's three mana for an Elvish Visionary effect that may ramp you if it's a land, which is cool, and then any elemental you cast after it. And uh, again, it's not actually a cast trigger, it's an ETB. So if, if for some reason they counter your elemental, you don't get this effect. But if you have a card that makes multiple elementals, you will get it multiple times. Uh, which is, again, pretty cool because there's some of the the uh, red ones that make multiple elemental tokens. So you could draw a bunch of cards off of that, potentially. Uh, so I, I like this one a lot. I think it's in the upper tier of the uncommons. And it's, again, kind of telling us, hey, in case you didn't get it, the blue-green theme is elementals. Stunning. This is why you read the cards at your pre-release, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, that's how you know what they do. They do things. All right, Sky Knight Vanguard is red and a white for a 1-2 flyer. Whenever it attacks, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token that's tapped and attacking. Legion Skyboss. Yeah, so Ethan and I disagreed quite a bit on this one. I still think it's in that middle tier for me of I'm not picking this and going into red-white, but when I'm red-white, I put this in every red-white deck. And the reason being is there are excellent combat tricks in red and white. I'm not talking about okay combat tricks or playable combat tricks. I'm talking about one legitimately first pickable combat trick and then a really solid one as well for one mana. All of that makes just sending in that one one worthwhile because if your opponent's blocking that, they're not blocking something else. If you have the combat trick, you can potentially blow them out. And if they're not able to block at all because they don't have a board or something like that, you're able to chip in for even more damage. There was also reasonable... um, artifact equipments in uh white and red that i think turned this on so i think this one's in the same tier with like the ogre siege breaker i I don't think it's like oh my god we opened one let's do it but i think every red white deck you're building when you see this you're pretty happy to have it there yeah I, i think i'm with you on that one the um i think the problem i have with it is the one two um, like you're going to be relying on getting it through using those combat tricks and things like that. And it's for, flying for what value? No, no, but there are a lot of flyers in this, in this set. There are 25 flyers at common and uncommon, and most of them will block this and trade with it in some capacity or just like straight up shut it down. Um, there's a lot of very good or when I, when I say very good, I mean, very good for commons, like two, two flyers for three. Um, that just shut this down. So now, like, yes, you can do it, right? If you can stick this on turn two, maybe you get one token out of the deal. But I think it's late game value against, like, there's flyers in every single color. Like, even red gets flyers this time around. Um, I think it's late game value probably diminishes. But, like, you're still going to play it in this red-white deck if you're going to be aggressive. You're just relying on the combat tricks to get this through in the air. Well, So I, it, it remains to be seen. Yes, but... 
this deck doesn't want to get to late game. And you're right, red has flyers, but none of them can block. Uh, what's actually scary for this is like green has excellent flyer defense, like the best we've ever mm-hmm. seen. So that's what I'm actually scared of is playing this against a green deck. But I, I, I don't think this deck cares about the late game. I, I, that's fair. And I would argue that it probably has to, given the amount of life gain there is in this set. But that'll we'll see how that plays out. Like, I'm not entirely certain how that'll play out. Like we said that, I think, about... M19 as well, I want to say that we thought that there was a lot of life gain in that, um, and I don't think it turned out to be as much, so, yeah. but we'll have to see, but I, I think I don't have it quite as high as you, we'll just put it that way. That's fair. And then, finally, we have Tomebound Lich, uh, one blue-black for a 1-3 zombie wizard with death touch, lifelink, and when it enters the battlefield or deals combat damage to a player, draw a card and then discard a card. This is right up there with that top tier of Risen Reef, uh, Ironroot Warrior, and Empyrean Eagle. Like, this is a fantastic card. Again, one I would happily first pick if there's not premium removal. Uh, Like, you already get your value just by playing it. It's going to trade for a card with your opponent, and if it doesn't, it's going to let you loot. And I really love looting effects, especially in core sets, because typically, like, seven drops is where they stop. You probably shouldn't be playing too many of those anyway, so, like, the value of your eighth, ninth, or tenth land is just catastrophic. You don't want to draw it, and just having a way to cash that in is great. That actually makes this a reasonable top deck late in the game when you've got six lands in hand and a land in ha- six lands in play and a land in hand. You can just play it and immediately get that value off of it. So I, I like this card a lot. So then, what's the uh, what's the Sultai theme supposed to be? Is it enter the battlefield effects? Is that the idea? Like you're getting value off your creatures, trading them off with things, or using some kind of sacrifice spell, like let's say bone splinters, and then graveyard like effects, like to get them back with Gravedigger or the the four mana. What is it? Get a get a creature back, put a creature in your hand, type thing. Like, is that what we what you're looking to do with the Sultai colors? I, I think value is certainly a part of it. You've got still some of the like swarm mechanics from black. You've got elementals in blue. There's excellent flyers in both of these colors. Uh, although they don't have a flying lord, you still get decent flyers in both of these colors as well. So I, I think you end up with kind of an evasion. There's some counter spells that are probably playable. Uh, so I, I think the theme of this color is probably looser than all of the others, uh, if, if you're looking at just a mirror. But if I had to put a word on it, value would be that word. Okay, that's fair. And that's usually what Enter the Battlefield does anyway. So, um, And one thing I really like about this card is the three toughness. Yeah. Like, it's you're, you're trading for a real creature on the other side of the battlefield. You're not just tra- tra- trading for a dorky 1-1 or something like that. So I think that's pretty cool. I did want to mention before we go on to the other colors, the fixing from the set. It looks Mm -hmm. like we're going to have the cons tapped lands, which are exactly like the tapped lands we had before, except uh, these gain you a life when you play them. And as I understand it, those will be filling the basic land slot in a little less than half the packs. That's what it sounds like. Yep. Okay. And Evolving Wilds will also be in that slot. So my experience in the last core set, which used the same mechanic to fill that, that land slot was that about one out of four drafts, I found something I wanted to splash for and was able to make the mana work. So I think you'll be able to do some light splashing here, although there will be a cost. As Dave mentioned, there's a lot of double pips. So like, pay attention to that as you go through and, and building these. But also, if you see these lands coming by later, go ahead and grab them up, uh, because if, if a splash opens up in pack three that you really want, you may be happy that you have them. Yeah, and don't think that you're going to reliably get them because if you if you do the math on that one, you'll probably see somewhere between ten and eleven on average in a draft. Yeah, um, if if the numbers are correct, and there's ten of them, <laughs> so if you like you do that, like you're probably not going to see more than two 
um, usually more than two of the same type going around in, in a in a particular draft. So, um, you know, at an average pack, I would probably draft these aggressively if I'm looking to splash, especially in like the elemental colors or something like that, where like you can really get some power splashing for some of the better elemental cards. Agree. All right, let's, uh, you want to start with white? Let's go through like we usually do, where we kind of pick up on the key cards that we think. We'll talk about removal, which one's good, which one's not so good, um, and some of the key cards and maybe some of the cycles as well as we go. Okay, well, I'm going to start us out with the removal comparison for white because there's basically two removal spells at common, and I think they're really worth diving deep and discussing. Uh, Sure. The first of these would be Aerial Assault. Uh, Two and a white for a sorcery, destroy target, tapped creature. You gain one life for each creature with flying you control. We've seen this effect before at common for this cost. Uh, It was originally printed in black as Assassinate. There was a variant of this for two mana in the last core set. Now, we compare that with Pacifism, which is... We've called Pacifism effects before because this card hasn't been printed in a long time. It's one and a white for an aura. Enchanted creature can't attack or block. Pacifism is the premium white removal spell to the extent that you will splash for it in other colors uh, whenever it shows up in a core set, which may seem a little crazy to people because we're used to splashing for five drops or six drops, but this is something that you're fine having late in the game to be able to take out a threat. Uh, Whereas something like Angelic Assault or Assassinate variants in general are not bad, but they don't get blockers out of the way, which is a problem if your deck is trying to be aggressive. You have to bait your opponent into attacking you by trying to race, um, or be in a situation where like they already have good attacks and then you're able to aerial assault. Uh, you're always going to have to take the damage from something before you can assault it. That's recouped some because you're gaining the life uh, from if you have flyers. But like generally speaking, this is a, a significantly lower tier of removal than pacifism. I doubt I would ever splash for an aerial assault, and I would probably try to splash for at least the first pacifism in most decks. Yeah, they both kind of struggle with the downside of if your opponent has a creature with an activated ability, this neither of them deals with it. Yeah. Unless, obviously, unless they're attacking with it. Um, but regardless, pacifism is the, is the top tier. Um, I have it probably as my best white common. And like, I mean, I, I also suffer from the problem of, well, all of the removal is the best common because it's removal. <laughs> and it, it can deal with anything on the other side of the board, generally speaking. So um, I do like Aerial Assault a little more, I think, if you're playing the white-blue deck specifically. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, there's a lot of flyers in this set. And if you're gaining three life off of this reliably, um, you know, in the mid to late game or something like that, then, you know, I think you're mitigating that damage that you're taking from the creatures attacking you. So I think that's fine. If you have to play this, you'll play it. I have it, like, you know, well down my list. There's a lot of creatures I'll take higher than this. Whereas pacifism, I'll, there's a lot of packs I'll end up first picking pacifism out of them for sure. So I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so... Next card for me that I, I wanted to take a look at, um, it's an uncommon, but Ethan and I disagreed a little bit about this one, and I, I kind of like this card a lot, was Ancestral Blade. Uh, one in a white for an artifact equipment. When it enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token, attach the blade to it, the creature gets plus one, plus one. So functionally what this is is a living weapon. We've seen this this mechanic before in New Phyrexia, but it's a 2-2 two, two for two, 
And then after you've traded that off, you can move the plus, you get a free short sword. You can move that plus one, plus one around. And I think that's a pretty high value two drop for me because it does something on turn two. And then it can do something later in the game, like attached to a flyer, attached to a trampler, whatever, for relatively cheap equip cost. I mean, the problem with short sword, like I like short sword just as like a simple little augment, I think it was Dominaria. Um, I like Jesting Lance a lot more, but like I would play the occasional sword, short sword in my flyer deck for sure. The problem with short sword is it didn't attack and block, or specifically it didn't block against the red decks that were attacking on the ground on turn two, um, whereas this does. So I really like this. Um, like I don't like it enough to first pick it out of like packs with murder in it, for example. Um, but you know I'm taking it highly as a two drop for sure. Um, and in a format, if we need two drops in this format, which we probably will. Um, you could do a lot worse than something that augments your three threes and four fours later in the game and makes them better. So when we looked at like the the when I looked at the power and toughness kind of stats, it looked like three toughness was kind of like going to be pretty good. Like there's a lot of cards that have two and less power. So turning your two twos into three threes, or specifically your three threes into four fours, um, I think probably will pay off quite nicely. Um, and the best part about Ancestral Blade is your opponent has death touchers on the other side of the table you can just move the plus one plus one somewhere else so i think you add all of that up together and i think you have a really good two drop here agree okay i mentioned there was a first pickable combat trick in the set it is god's willing uh white for an instant target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn scry one uh we have seen this both in theros where heroic was a theme and it was certainly better there because like you got a bonus for casting instants on your creatures and I've also played with it in a master set where that wasn't necessarily an overarching theme, but it was still amazing. Uh, protection has not shown up as a mechanic in ages. The important things for you to remember about it as far as God's willing go is if you have a 5-5, five, five, your opponent's at 5 and they have two green blockers. If you draw this, they're dead. They cannot block that creature. This will win you most combats while giving you about half a card's worth of value off of the scry. It also protects like a negate would from any targeted removal spell as long as you've got one white up. And it's so much easier to leave up one for a combat trick than it is to leave up two. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to first pick this over pacifism, for example, but there will be packs where there's not much there where I would consider taking God's Willing early. It's actually that good. Yeah, the... I think in, in Theros, I, I was probably first, I would have probably first picked God's Willing over, I don't think Pacifism was in the Theros yeah. block. I think it was Luminous. I don't remember what it was. Um, but I would have picked God's Willing higher than Pacifism in that block for sure. Um, because of the heroic shenanigans. A little bit worse here, but not enough to make it like something that I care about. Um, quite frequently, you can get more than a card's worth of value out of this. And that's really good for your one mana combat trick. So um, you call it a combat trick. I think it's, I think that's a disservice to the card. I think it's just, it, it's just a, it's a Swiss army knife. It's a negate. It's a combat trick. It's a finisher. It's card selection. It's, it's everything all rolled up into one. So let's extract it from the combat trick bundle and put it somewhere else because they, I think it transcends that. So, but a very good card. You should be taking this very highly. And if you, you know, if you open a bunch of these in your sealed pool at the pre-release, um, consider playing white. Yeah, agreed. Like, I'd happily run three of these in most white decks. 
Oh yeah. Um, this is not a, a necessarily a key card, but we need to know that this is in the set. Is inspired charge two white white instant creatures you control get plus two plus one until end of turn. There is a go wide theme in white. Be aware of that. There's a lot of other cards that play well with it. Um, one of them is raise the alarm, which I think is another key common to kind of be aware of. Uh, this is one in a white for an instant create two one one white soldier creature tokens. So this is crucial because like one of White's themes is going wide. There's some cards that trigger off of creatures entering the battlefield. There's some others that pump the creatures that you have. So getting two bodies for one card is relevant. This is also kind of a big deal because it's an instant. If Dave is attacking me with a 3-3 and I have a 2-2, he may not be expecting me to raise the alarm, then trade those off and still have a 1-1 left over after the exchange. Maybe I did my life totals actually higher, and I take the damage, play this, and then untap and play an anthem, and are attacking him back for significantly more than he expected. So just putting instant speed on this kind of changes some of the things that you can do with the card. Uh, but just on its face, it's already pretty good. So be aware that this one's in the set as well. I love sticking this in my two drop spot. Sometimes you get lucky and you get a two one on the other side of the table. Oh, that's the best feeling ever. Yeah, on the on the draw or whatever. I really like doing stuff like that. So, And the last one for me is kind of like card that I liked. I don't think you have to really go nuts over this, but there's not a lot of great three drops with Steadfast Sentry. Uh, it's two and a white for a 3-2 Vigilance. When it dies, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. We've seen three twos for three that die into a plus one, plus one counter in black and green before, and they were always okay. We're never particularly excited about them. It was frustrating that you couldn't always get your opponent to trade with it when you wanted it to. But as soon as you slap Vigilance on that card, it means they have to trade with it or just keep taking three every turn, and then you still have it to block. Uh, so I, I think just putting Vigilance on that type of card at common and, and combine that with the fact that the three drops kind of suck at least at common, means that this is one I'm happy to have one or two of in my deck because I think I can get some value off of it. If I can give that 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 counter flying, uh, which I think I can probably do in most white decks, I'm going to be pretty tickled with that. Yeah, these things are going to be annoying to play against. Um, I'm looking forward to drafting these. One of the cards that I really liked was the um, from Ammon Ket block was the 3-2 with Vigilance that you could uh, cast from the graveyard for like 5 mana or something like that. Yeah. And it's not quite that. Like, I think that was better, but I think this is in the same theme of that because of the Vigilance. Yeah. And you're like, man, I can't just keep taking damage off anything. I'm going to have to trade it off, but then they're just going to get value off of it at some point later in the game because they can just play it next turn or they can play it the turn after that right they didn't lose anything for it they didn't lose a card for it um and if you're playing a bunch of flyers in a blue white deck you know you're getting a really good amount of value off that plus one plus one counter it stands to reason so yeah i think this is going to be a high pick for me like middle of a pack if i know that i'm white already yeah so those were kind of the white cards that i wanted to keep an eye out were there any for you that kind of stood out as as particularly good or bad uh one that i wanted to ask about and it's it's kind of a little like not really sub theme because there's not a lot of support for it but i wanted to see where you came down on a card like angel of vitality so this is a two and a white for a two two flying uh, angel in uncommon if you would gain life gain that much plus one instead so you get a little bit of extra life um but when you have 25 or more life it gets plus two plus two um i don't think this is a high pick but like you know, a Windrake, I, I like Windrakes. I like three mana, two, two flyers. 
What do you think of the life gain little mini sub theme across the set? Do you think it's enough or do you think like a lot of this is just incidental life gain and, and you're not going to get any kind of extra value out of it? Because there's this card, there's one in black that gets plus one plus one counters whenever you gain life. And then there's the vampire uh, from Ixalan block. Whenever you gain life, your opponent loses that much life. Like, is this a reason to look at picking up a little bit of extra life gain here and there? Or are you just going to play this as a three mana flying two two? I think most of the time I'm going to play this as a three mana flying two, two. I think the black mm. one that got counters was actively better because this one has that idea of you have to get up to 25. Um, mm. And I, I'm not really sure how you're doing that in a match that you weren't already winning. Um, so like that, that one for me kind of turns that off a little bit, but like when, when the floor is, you know, two and a white for a two, two flyer, I'm already pretty happy with that. I wouldn't put like bad life gain cards in my deck to make this work, but if you happen to have some, sure the scenario might come up, and that that's certainly nothing bad. Yeah, I want to make sure we were on the same page on that one that I wasn't missing anything because it just I was looking through the set, I was looking through the I did a scryfall search, and it's just like are there really only like three payoff cards at common and uncommon, and that seemed to be the case. Now there's a rare that plays well with angels and life gain, but I like the amount of time that's going to come together is not enough. I don't think so. Agree. I think we're okay on that one. Um, we can talk about the protection cycle a little bit. Um, not because like, I think this is a particularly good card, but I think it's important to note that there are uh, color hosers here. So the card that I'm referring to is apostle of the purifying light. It's one in a white for a two, one uh, with protection from black and the activated ability to uh, two generic mana to exile target card from a graveyard. Um, there's, I think every color has a, has a particular color hoser in creature form. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them you're not main decking. There was a discussion on your set review the other day that maybe this is one that you do main deck um, because it's got a, maybe a potentially a relevant activated ability. Um, but just kind of keep that in mind that protection is annoying and limited. And if you have these in your sideboard, you know, you're siding them in in a lot of matchups that against these specific colors. So whether or not you main deck this one in particular, like bring this in in your two drop spot against any black deck. And the same goes for pretty much all of the other ones. I think they're all just fine or better outside of the sideboard against their particular colors. Agree. There's also color hosing spells for each color. Uh, we, we don't have to go super deep on those, but once you're in the color, you should pick these exceptionally highly because the the color hosers are going after both of the enemy pairs in, in I think, every case. And they're A-pluses out of the sideboard. Uh, like, they're going to be, the, like, the we'll just look at the, the white one. Devout Decree, one in a white, exile target creature, or planeswalker that's black or red. So two mana, exile the thing. Like, this is good against a black deck, a red deck, and absurd against a black-red deck. It even has Scry 1 on it. So, like, once you know you're white, you pick these pretty highly when you open them because you're going to play more sideboarded games than non-sideboarded games, uh, assuming you're playing best of three. Now, in best of one, you know, all of this goes out the window, which I think is kind of funny. But, like, if you're playing sideboarded matchups, pay attention to w- which of these you have. Uh, to the case, like, even if I'm building a sealed deck and I'm like, it's really close between blue or white, I'm not sure what my second color would be, I guess I'll go blue, and then I find myself against a black-red deck and I have two of these in my sideboard, well, now I'm black-white. Just switch. They're that good. Yeah, I think I think for the most part they're good out of the board. There may be one that's not great, but we can, you know, evaluate them as you go through them, basically, when you're looking at your sealed pool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's do blue. All right, go, go. Okay, uh, first up for me is Air Elemental is back. 
Uh, three blue blue for a flying four four at uncommon. Pretty generic, but I love me my big flyers for five mana. I, I like flying in general. I like my three mana flyers. I like my five mana flyers. A um, little harder to cast because of the double pip. Um, there's also one that is probably better than this one, believe it or not, which is uh, four blue for a three four. Let me find the name of it here. Boreal Elemental. Uh, this one's at common, so it's four blue for a three four with flyer. It's an elemental, which is relevant. And spells your opponent's cats that target this cost two more to cast. These are your finishers in blue white, even in blue green. Like these are pretty good, pretty good spells. They're both elementals um, too. Oh, I, I guess air elemental would also be an elemental. So um, it, it's pretty sweet that, that blue can get these these nice flyers again. I think it's nice to have those bread and butter big butt flyer creatures. It's going to be annoying. Um, card to keep in mind is bone to ash. Uh, when did we last see Bone Dash? Was it M19? Yeah, it was in the last course set at Uncommon. Yeah, so it's two blue-blue for counter-target creature spell, draw a card. It was very easy to play around it. But when you forgot to play around it and you got got by it, it felt real bad. Yup. Um, and it felt especially bad in M19 because of Salvager of Secrets, and so, you know, your opponent could often buy it back and then sit there and hold it up the rest of the game and beat you down with, like, their 2-2 flyers and you couldn't do anything about it. Um, you may be main decking this. You may not be main decking this. Um, I don't know how many copies you'll be main decking this. If you have, to, if you main deck one, it's probably fine in a lot of cases. Just be aware that this this card is here and this card sucks to get got by. Um, if your opponent has five cards in hand and double blue and two other land up, like maybe consider playing around it or trying to do something else. Um, you know, use an activated ability or you know maybe use removal of your own instead of. Uh, playing right into Bone to Ash. Um, when you soul read your opponent for it, you feel like a genius. So just kind of look to be more of a genius and less of getting got by Bone to Ash. Yeah, the only real way to play around it if you've got them soul read for it is to not commit more to the board. Uh, if you're in a position where you're ahead of them, then that's not a problem. It feels really good when you've got an instant so that if they do finally cast something on their own turn, you can respond uh, by killing one of their creatures, for example. But yeah, just be aware that this is here, and it's common. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeesh. Yeah. Um, this is... Next one here, um, we'll have to talk about it because I think it's the best blue card, or at least the best blue common. Cloudkin Seer, 2 and a blue for 2 and flyer when it enters the battlefield, draw a card. There, I don't think there's an upper limit to how many of these I will put in my deck. I mean, it could realistically only be 25 and 15 lands. Yeah, that's probably it, yeah. Because I would play that deck. Uh, this may just be the best common. Like, I'm I'm going to have to think hard about this in Pacifism, for example. Like, this is this is kind of absurd. It's got a re- relevant creature tag in Elemental. It's it's an evasive flyer, and it, it replaces itself immediately. Like, this card's absurd. Yeah. It is absurd. If you do the Paper, Rock, Scissors, like, this beats Pacifism because, sure, you've pacified it, but I drew a card off of it, so I'm up I'm up on it, right? Yeah. So it, if you look at it that way, this is potentially better, um, but it doesn't deal with your opponent's bombs. So yeah. it's tough to say. Um, I love that it's common. It, I will hate that my opponents have them, but I love that I can draft it at common. So this is, this is going to be probably one of, hopefully, one of my most drafted cards, um, but we'll have to see how it goes. We have uh, Frost Links back and an elemental form was always an elemental, but I love this card. Two and a blue for a 2-2. When it enters the battlefield, tap target creature and opponent controls. That creature does not untap during its controller's next untap step. 
I'm noticing that there's a lot of elementals that I would play anyway without them being elementals. Mm -hmm. So I think what this is telling me is that cards that play well with other elementals, I am also going to enjoy very much. So when we get to green, there's a, a green sp a card that like puts plus one, plus one counter on another elemental, and then when it dies, or when, when elementals die, I think it gets plus one, plus one counters or something like that. Like There's just all of these incidental elementals going around, and I think that's going to be uh, a very powerful archetype. Yeah, Frostlink fits together. well into a tempo strategy as well, like just getting something out of the way for a turn, blocking, and then it's functionally blocking at the next turn too. Like This is just a solid card. You know, it doesn't even have to be in a tempo strategy because it can play in a controlling strategy because you're just slowing your opponent down and you're it's a speed bump that also that slows your opponent down for an extra turn, right? Mm -hmm. There's just there's a lot of play patterns with Frost Links. It can win you the game, it can it can catch you up, it can slow your opponent down. Um this is this is going to be a high pick for me for sure. Agree. Um Octoprofit? We need a good nickname for Octoprofit. What have we come up with? Uh, nothing yet, but I'll get there. This is a solid card, too. All right. Three blue for a 3-3 three, three Octopus when it enters the battlefield. Scry 2. That's a lot of scrying on a relevant body at a turn I'd really be interested in scrying to. Because usually at four mana, I'm like, oh my god, I have to find something other than lands. Or, oh my god, if I can just hit two lands, I win. And Octoprofit gonna hook you up. There is an upper limit to how many of these I would play. It's probably about two, uh, because like a 3-3 three, three for four isn't amazing. It's okay. As Dave said, it looked like that's kind of our base stats for the format. So like this body is going to be relevant, uh, but that's a good bit of value stapled on there. So I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to be happy to, to draft these at common. Uh, yeah, and I think like the the cool thing is is like these are good to buy back with cards like Gravedigger mm -hmm. because of the extra enter the battlefield value you get. So I think this is going to be a solid role player. Like it's not the best; it doesn't knock my socks off. Um, but as far as like C plus cards go, you you can't do much worse than this. Yeah, looks good to me. All right, um, I think the next one that I had Sleep Paralysis is here. So three in a blue for enchant creature when it enters the battlefield, tap that creature. It doesn't untap. This is the removal that blue gets along with an unsummon, which isn't really removal, um, but sometimes you can get a double block or a combat trick with that. So those, along with counter spells, are what you get in blue. We know that. We're used to that. Draft accordingly. This one is better and worse than what we're used to at, like, Water Knot or Claustrophobia, for example, because it's a little bit easier to splash. But God help you if you're splashing this. Like, uh, it, it's functionally similar to Pacifism, but the extra two mana does matter. You're often going to have to trade down if you have to use this early. Yeah. Um, Spectral Sailor. I think this is a cool card. A single blue for a flash flying 1-1 one, one with four mana. Three and a blue, sorry, draw a card. Yeah. For an activated ability. I, I like this one quite a lot. Like, the downside of, like, one mana 1-1 one, one flyer would always be pretty good if you could play it on turn one. But, like, there's a, a, a disadvantage to sometimes I draw it late and it doesn't do anything. This at least gives you a mana sink and somewhere to dump that mana. And if you're stuck holding up something like, oh, I don't know, um the four mana counter spell that we saw just a second ago. Like how miserable is it for your opponent to have the soul read on you for the counter spell and you've got this. Like don't don't want to play a creature? Okay, cool. I'll draw a card anyway. Like this is yeah. this is the key to making those playable. Yeah. Flash this in and draw a card for five mana seems pretty good too. Yeah. You can do it safely. So uh two more that I want to mention. Warden of Evo's Isle, two in a blue for a two two flyer. Creature spells with flying you cast cost one less to cast. 
like I said, I'm playing Windrakes anyway. I might as well play something that maybe gets me, uh, lets me double spell on a later turn. Um, I think this is going to be an annoying uncommon. Not necessarily a high pick, but certainly a, a solid card if I'm in these colors already, if I'm in the flyer deck. Yeah, it's significantly worse than the Cloud Concealer, but yeah. Oh, for sure. But like, if there's no Cloud Concealers because everybody's first picking them. <laughs> yeah. Right? I, I like this card. Plus, you have the ability to chain those Cloud Concealers together. There you go. By the way. Um, and then Yarrow's Wave Crasher, and I want to mention this because I think this is a card that people are going to misread. Three and a blue for a 4-4 Elemental, with the downside of when it enters the battlefield, return another creature you control to its owner's hand. What is different about this card than cards that are like it? You don't have to do it if you don't have something else in play. It doesn't have to return itself, meaning you can play this on an empty board. Normally when you, we see these cards, you play them if it's on an empty board, it has to bounce itself. This is a 4-mana four 4-4 four, four elemental in blue. That's bananas. The, yeah, that's just arbitrarily large. And we've already mentioned a lot of the cards that we really liked in blue, like the Frost Lynx and the Cloud Concealer. There's many cases where we'd be happy to return those to our hand. Now, the downside is we don't really want to curve out into this Wave Crasher, right? But, like, the upside for it is, like, if the, again, if there's not a board, you've got an instant blocker. And if you top deck it later, maybe you can re-trigger one of those Enter the Battlefield abilities or just start cycling through various elementals to trigger elemental abilities. So I, I think this is going to be a real role player as well. Yeah, I think so, too. So I'm looking forward to drafting, hopefully, a, a few of these. All righty. Any cards that we missed in blue? I don't think so. I think that's okay. those are the ones I wanted to cover. I like blue. Yeah, me too. Blue looks great. Okay, black. Yeah, let's jump on in here. Um, so, like, spoiler alert, we got to talk about it. Murder is here at common. One black black for instant destroy target creature. This is the best card in many of your black decks, and it's a worse first pick than pacifism. And it's going to be hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around that, but you cannot splash murder. You can splash pacifism. So every pack that I open that has pacifism and murder in it, I'm probably going to take pacifism unless it turns out that white is just horrible, in which case I may still take it because I could splash it. That said, murder is excellent. Instant speed over sorcery speed is a huge upgrade. Uh, once you you know that you're black and you see this in pack two, snap it up. Uh, and in fact, in many packs where you open it, it's still the first pick. Like it's just a phenomenal removal spell. And I kind of can't believe we're getting something like that effect at common. Yeah, I think a lot of the cards that you look at are, you have to rate them in the, like using the murder <laughs> grading system. Mm -hmm. Are you picking this over murder? Yeah. Right? Like, a lot of the rares you're looking at, it's like, well, is this better than murder? Um, you know, a lot of the uncommons, is this better than murder? And the question for a lot of the commons and uncommons is absolutely no. So, we know this from before. It's been an uncommon in previous sets. Now we get it at common. Like, does that tell us that the rares and mythics are are just busted? That we have pacifism and murder at common? Or is it just that they want an interesting and exciting limited format with a lot of removal? Um, and we're playing, like, we're murdering three twos because everybody is murder flooded. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. So, but yeah, keep that in mind. I do want to compare that to the other removal spell that stands out in black is Bone Splinters, uh, which is black sorcery speed as an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a creature, destroy target creature. Bone Splinters is something I rarely want in my deck. It's a fail case. Oh my God, I have to play some sort of removal. So let's get us a Bone Splinters. 
Now, there's an argument that often what you're sacrificing is worse than what you're killing. Otherwise, why would you be using this effect? But you're always down two cards when you use a Bone Splinters to kill something. Even if it's a token, even if it's something left over, it's still something from your board that you're getting rid of for no value. Uh, so for me, I typically don't even want to play Bone Splinters, whereas we compared the two white removal spells. I'll play the white Assassinate variant. I'm going to try to avoid Bone Splinters if I can. I think it'll be interesting to see because we saw a lot of tokens in white and there's a couple of creatures that you're willing to sacrifice in black and green that you've already gotten value off of. So I'm curious if Bone Splinters is a little bit higher of a pick than it normally would be, or at least is more valuable in your deck than it, and then it has been in the past. But I'm, I'm going to sit and wait on that one. I'm just curious if that's the case. Cause if you've seen like, um, you know, we'll raise the alarm, for example, right? You're using half a card plus bone splinters to kill anything on the other side of the table, which is, I mean, obviously it's not murder rate, but you know, you could do a lot worse. So I think it, I think it's deck dependent in this format is what it looked like so far. Yeah. And, and I don't disagree. I'm just like comparing contrast these two cards and you can quickly figure yeah. out which one's better. Absolutely. Uh, two uncommons that stick out one, because it's kind of pointing us to, to black's idea is blood for bones. Uh, three and a black for a sorcery as an additional cost to cast this spell sacrifice a creature return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield return another creature card from your graveyard to your hand so that can be the creature that you sacrificed and what you're supposed to do with this is you know re-trigger enter the battlefield abilities we talked about that when we mentioned the blue black uncommon this is kind of part of that engine to get that going and I'll lead you straight into another card uh, that Ethan and I identified as kind of a key role player for black, which is Gorging Vulture. Uh, two and a black for a 2-2 flyer. When it enters the battlefield, mill yourself for four. Uh, you gain one life for each creature card put into your graveyard this way. So I think some of what black wants to be doing, whether or not it's good is up for debate, is milling itself and then getting value creatures um, out of the graveyard into play immediately, maybe cheating out something big, maybe just recurring a bunch of value uh, and trying to get you with that. Yeah, uh, Reanimator is not quite back on the menu, but it certainly is an appetizer, I would say, in this format. Um, you also have Gravedigger and Soul Salvage, which doesn't necessarily play the same way because they're going to your hand, but Gorging Vulture is going to get you a lot of value in a lot of black-based decks. Um, so I think I think that needs to be a high pick, and I think you guys correctly identified that. It was like watching Ethan go through it and kind of like the light bulb turn on as it was going through it. It's like, okay, well, we did Gorging Vulture. Oh, yeah, but then we also have this other card that plays well with that. And we also have this other one, and he's like slowly increasing the rating of Gorging Vulture as it went, uh, as you guys went through the, the set review. So I think that was really cool. Um, I kind of really like Blood for Bones, I think. Am I crazy? I don't think I'm crazy. I don't think you're crazy. I, th I think it has a pretty high ceiling. You have to be aware that sometimes it's, it's four mana do nothing, and that sucks. But it doesn't look like it's going to be that hard to get stuff in your graveyard. So I, I think I'm interested in trying this and then deciding how good it is. I initially poo-pooed this card a little bit, but like you said, it starts with a B. And once we got through the end of black and we did this alphabetically, I was like, okay, I can kind of see what they're doing here. Yeah, and, like, especially in black-blue, like, there's a lot of Enter the Battlefields. In fact, there's a Gravedigger, like I said. Like, there's just a lot of things you can do. And if you can luck out and cheat out, like, a Cavalier at Mythic or something like that, I think you're doing it right. Agreed. Okay. 
Next one for me was the Bloodthirsty Aerialist. Dave mentioned this one earlier, but it's one black black for a 2-3 flyer. Whenever you gain life, put a plus one, plus one counter on Bloodthirsty Aerialist. You don't need to trigger this at all to be relatively happy with the rate. A 2-3 flyer for three is absolutely fine, although it does look like there's enough incidental life gain in black by itself and also when paired with white uh, as an ancillary color that you can probably get a counter on this. And if you do that once, it's kind of an absurd rate. So I, I think that's just a solid good uncommon creature for black uh we've got disfigure at uh uncommon now i'm going to talk a little bit about shock when we get to red and why i don't particularly like it in this set uh but disfigure is kind of a big deal this is black for an instant target creature gets minus two minus two until end of turn this would kill anything that a shock would kill but also can be used in conjunction with blocking as sort of a combat trick to take down something bigger. So it's sort of like a more flexible shock. Uh, so I, I think this is a relatively high pick as well. Yes, I agree. I really like this figure. Um, it, it's so flexible, and the one mana, it's not quite God's willing, right? But it feels like it does a lot of the same things, except protect your creature from removal. Um, so I'm not going to pick it as high as God's Willing, but it certainly is in like one of my top tiers when it comes to combat tricks slash removal spells. Agree. Uh, Dave already mentioned Gravedigger, but I'm going to mention it again because it's that good. Uh, it's three and a black for a 2-2. When it enters a battlefield, you return a card from your grave- a creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, I have, have splashed and will continue to splash specifically for this card. This used to be a common back in the old days. Uh, and it has been upgraded to uncommon, and it's still just as good. Like, it gives you a body that's relatively relevant in corset-sized worlds and gets you your best creature out of your graveyard right into your hand. Uh, this, this is one of my favorite uncommons in this set. One of my favorite things to do with uh, Gravedigger is buy it back with Soul Salvage, or the equivalent effect. Like, if you can cast a Gravedigger twice in a game you're probably winning that game unless you're just getting like a one, two or a two, two back. Like you're usually getting really good value out of it. You, the only thing we're missing is like ravenous chupacabra. You're not, well, that's in the set too. We'll get to it, but um, <laughs> you're not living the dream yet, Dave. So you get back two grave diggers with soul salvage. Right. Now right. you're doing and then you it. buy them back. Now you're doing it, but quite frequently you don't ever get more than one. Agreed. And one more uncommon that Ethan really liked, and I eventually came around to thinking this was pretty cool too, was Yarrick's Fin Lurker. Uh, it's black, black for a 1-1. One, one. You can spend two and a black to pump it, plus one, plus one. When it enters a battlefield, each opponent exiles a card from their hand. Uh, there's a real cost here, and Dave mentioned this earlier when you were talking about splashing and that it's double black, two pips. Uh, it's leaving you behind a relatively relevant body that you could pump up and do things with and getting that card out of your opponent's hand. We've seen this before on cards like the Rats. It's relevant that it exiles because we've already seen a lot of graveyard shenanigans, and it's not entirely dead late. I, I don't think this is in the same tier as, say, like a Gravedigger or something like that or Murder, uh, but this is still a card I'd be looking to play. Yeah, I mean... If you can afford to keep it around and pump it, it is pretty expensive to pump, but I think it's probably good sacrifice fodder too. Um, and I'm not too concerned if I can't cast it on turn two, so I think the double pip is not too much of a cost. Yeah. It it kind of reminds, not reminds me, but it's a similar play pattern to the Caligo Skin Witch from Dominaria, where if you're casting it late gating and getting one of your opponent's last two cards, you're probably getting something of value, assuming they're not sandbagging lands on that side. So... Play it early, play it late, and I think it it plays very well at both stages. The only card I want to mention that we didn't that you didn't mention is the Vampire, the Dire Moon. Um, Death Touchers are back at one mana, and I love it. 
it's one one for black with death touch and lifelink um keep, keep that in mind because it will deal with a lot of the cards on your opponent's side of the table for um you know very very good value i think yeah solid card okay Man, I like all of these colors. Is this going to be a core set that I actually like? I hope so. I think that it will be. I'm excited to play this one. All right, red. I'm going to skip over Active Treason because you're probably going to bring it up. Yep, it's in the set. You need to remember that it's in the set. Two and a red, steal your creature, kill you with it. There you go. Uh, I want to talk about Chandra, Novice Pyromancer, which is an uncommon Planeswalker. For three and a red for a five loyalty Planeswalker, plus one elementals you control get plus two plus zero until end of turn. Minus one, add red, red, and minus two, uh, she deals two damage to any target. The play pattern on this Planeswalker is quite interesting, I think, which is why I wanted to bring it up. I have it as a high pick, not very, not not too high, obviously not higher than murder and pacifism and, and cards like that, um, but I do have it kind of up there on my red list, and the reason is, is because it does a lot of things. You think of Jaya from uh, War of the Spark. The minus two is relevant. You're probably plunking and killing things, and if you can get two creatures with this, like if you get, if you can get two you know, two and three drops on your opponent's side of the battlefield for four mana, you're doing something right. The other thing is, is it's easy to double spell with her. If you really want to like build the board and put pressure on your opponent, you can play her minus one, get double red, and then maybe play, you know, a three drop or something like that to protect her. And you still have a four loyalty planeswalker kicking around. So you can, you know, if you can double spell with her, you're playing her for two mana, or you can just play her on a board with a bunch of elementals and deal your opponent a ton of damage and say, look, like, you can either not t- not block any of my creatures, take a bunch of damage and kill Chandra, and then die the next turn, or you can make a bunch of bad blocks and kill off a bunch of my elementals that I don't care if you're killing because, you know, I'm going to start dealing two to the face with Chandra or something like that next turn. So I think there's some interesting play patterns here, and I think skilled players might be able to get a lot of value out of this card. Agree. It just looks solid. Yeah, solid all around. Chandra's Embercat, one and a red for a 2-2 elemental cat. It's a ramper for red, or a ma- uh, yeah, I guess ramper for red. It has the ability tap, add red, only spend this mana to cast an elemental spell or a Chandra Planeswalker spell. And I had to double check that this wasn't in the Planeswalker deck because that is a weird line of text uh, for a red card in at common, basically. Yeah, I can remember when it was a big deal that red got two mana 2-2s two with no text. Uh, and we have just since surpassed that. There's a lot of four drop elementals that you would like to cast in red. There's uh, fire elemental is in the set as well. That's probably not a card we're going to cover, but again, it's kind of a big deal. So being able to ramp into an air elemental, a fire elemental, or any of the four drops is kind of huge. And all it's asking you to do is play a two mana two two in your deck, which you're going to do anyway. I didn't even think about ramping to the blue elementals. I hear I was thinking about ramping to the green ones. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I look forward to that. Uh, I look forward to dying to that, I mean. Chandra's Outrage is our best red removal spell. Two red, red for an instant. It deals four damage to target creature and two damage to that creature's controller. This is actually Um, your best red common. You're going to have this as best red common? Yep, because it is. I read it. You read it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was... I looked at Pack Mastiff as one of them, but then I reread it and I thought about it a little more, and I think you're probably right. Um, It just so happens that removal is good, and it's likely the best common in every color in this set. So I'm fine with that. It's also um, a reprint. Reprint. I've played with it before. Looking at the toughness here, Zombub is kind enough to set up a website that shows us the power and toughness in the set. And checking, this kills just about everything you want to kill. It's instant speed, which is awesome. It can let you blow out combat tricks. Uh, and it happens to instantly deal two damage while it's doing that. Uh, so like, there's a lot of play patterns where you can just kind of get people with this. Yeah. 
this card, man, I'm going to lose a lot to this card. I can just feel it. Dagger Sail, Aeronaut, three and a red for a 3-2 common goblin. As long as it's your turn, it has flying. Yeah. How do you like your snapping drakes to be in red? It sounds great to me. And goblins is a semi-relevant side tribe for red. Uh, like, there's enough of them here and a couple synergy pieces for it that you might be able to do something with this. But, like, you never blocked with Snapping Drake anyway unless things were going super dire and you had to block on the ground. Uh, so this is not that much of a drawback. I think this card looks great. I agree. It's going to be a very good red common. Uh, I want your take on Destructive Digger. Two and a red for a 3-2, in red, which is decent. Like, I think I think three power is going to be good for a lot of things, and you don't mind trading it off. With the ability three, tap, sacrifice an artifact or land, draw a card. I was thinking that, like, you know, I'm probably I'm probably okay playing a 3-2 in red for three because I'm, I'm aggressive, I'm attacking. That's the red thing. And then being able to do something late game, if your opponent's bricking you with four fours, for example, and turning some of your extra lands into extra cards, seems like a decent thing to be doing am i just crazy or like is this too expensive like what 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 do you think about this card this is my favorite card in the set it is not the best card in the set but i love this card uh because of everything you just said there's not a lot of great three drops outside of blue this one does everything you could possibly want um for a three drop in that it attacks for three power and trades with three toughness creatures and it does something late game that's not a great rate But if you think about it, it's sort of like Rummaging Goblin, which is always my favorite card in every set that it's in, because it lets me do something with those extra lands that I draw. Here, instead of the cost of having a 1-1 for 3 in my deck, I have the cost of I have to spend 3 to do the rummage. Because, let's be honest, it's always a land that you're you're discarding to find something in a core set. Like It's just what you do with the card. Um, This one won't help you in that scenario where you're stuck on three and need to find another one. But most of what comes up is I've got seven lands and I draw another one. I'm like, oh my God, this is terrible. Well, now I can just cash it in and my three drop still does something. So I think this is like, again, it's my favorite card. I don't think it's the best card. I'm not high picking this, but I do want one in every red deck that I'm playing. Yeah. I mean, we've all flooded out before. It'd be nice to be able to do something with those lands. Yarp. And, and this is not in the set, unfortunately. Um, Amber Holler is a card to, to keep in mind when you're playing at your pre-release. It is a red-red for a 2-2 Goblin with the ability 1, sacrifice it, it deals 2 damage to any target. This card um, is fantastic. It's a repret. It's very good. It's very good. We had a card that was similar to this um, that was 1 and a red for a 2-2. Mm-hmm. And just a 2-2 two, two damage or destroy target artifact, if I remember correctly. It was colorless right? permanent, but yeah colorless permanent right um and that was fantastic this makes combat tough right like um you know you can trade this and something else for your opponent's four four sometimes um you just plunk off anything you can go two to the face it's it, it, it's it's a very good card you should be playing this one the red red is tough because i think this is a this is a card you want to stick early and make your opponent thinking of think about playing their three twos you know because it's just going to die to this instantly so yeah, and it's a shock that deals damage while you're waiting for a target. Like, it's it's just a solid card. Exactly. Uh, goblin Ringleader is the goblin kind of payoff card that you were talking about, I think. Three and a red for a 2-2 with haste. When it enters the battlefield, reveal the top four cards of your library. Put all goblin cards revealed this way into your hand and the rest on the bottom in any order. I'm not convinced you're going to get enough goblins to make this worth playing. I'm not either. But in the scenarios where you do, it's actually quite good. I've played with this where there was a lot in formats where there was a, it's a preprint. I've played with it in formats where there was a lot of support for goblins. And if you actually can get eight or more of them, it's quite good. 
Uh, so just be aware that like that could happen. If you see yourself picking up a lot of the good goblins in red and you see one of these light, go ahead and pick it up. Okay. So you think eight is the magic number? I'll wait for the Frank Carson article on that one. It'll say eight. Okay. Uh, do you want to talk about Infuriate? Is this one of the combat tricks you're looking at? Yeah, this is absurd. Uh, red for an instant target creature gets plus three, plus two. How like usually we get first strike instead of toughness. The fact that we get toughness is insane on this card. I think for a combat trick. Yeah, we've gotten plus three plus zero oh in first strike for two mana for years now, and now we're getting one mana power and toughness boost. This is a significant upgrade to red in the form of combat tricks. Uh, th- this is great. Yes, uh, Keldon Raider is back. We all know how good that card is two red red for a four three when it enters the battlefield may discard card if you do draw a card i know this is your favorite card I, ever i really like this card i still think i like the destructive digger better um yes but i think you're right i i do like Kelden raider a lot it's a solid body it's good at all points during the game as it blocks and attacks pretty well if you draw it late and you've got an extra land in your hand you can cash it in and you don't have to rummage if you don't want to so if you're playing this on four and you like your hand just don't send anything back it's fine uh, Lavican Brawler, I like that we can get our elemental payoffs, quote-unquote, at common here. Uh, three and a red for a 2-4 elemental warrior. Whenever it attacks, it gets plus one, plus zero until end of turn for each elemental you control. So it's attacking as a 3-4, which is kind of a bizarre stat line for red, I think. Um, it's not unreasonable that this is usually attacking for at least four power. So it's it's probably most of the time a 4-4 four, for four, four in red. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the Cyclops uh, that we saw in Dominaria. Mm-hmm which was kind mm-hmm. of a 2-4 if they blocked it the right way um, and not if they didn't. So I, I think this will have a little bit better play pattern than that because, again, it's it's a 3-4 on its own, uh, and 3-3 three, three does seem to be the magic number. So there's actually a lot of good 4-drops for red. We've mentioned 3 that I'm quite excited to play at common. Mask of Immolation, Mortar Combat, uh, 1 and a red for a artifact equipment. When it enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 one, one elemental and attach this to it. Equipped creature has sacrificed this creature. It deals one damage to any target. This is more powerful than you might initially think that it is, especially when we consider that there's kind of a theme going around of cards that make multiple creatures for one card. Uh, just having this in play can kind of mess up combat for your opponent. You can end up in a scenario where your opponent's at five and you've got five creatures and ten mana and they're just dead. Um, this is one that I'm very happy to pay play with so it's like you you pay two mana you make a tibble double double basically and then after that you can move this mask around and start throwing other creatures around if you need to uh i i will happily play this in in my red decks yeah not quite a tibble double because it won't trade with a two two yeah right keep that in mind it's not when it dies it's when you sack it it's when you sack it so that is that is particular because i can see people that have played with the devils maybe getting that mixed up at the pre-release just kind of keep that in mind reading the card explains, explains the, card. the card it does yeah uh pack mastiff this is the kind of catch them all here um fire or fathom fleet firebrand for those who played ixalan one in a red for a two two hound with the activated ability one in a red each creature you control named pack mastiff gets plus one plus zero until end of turn um not as great on its own but you know in pack one, you're picking up two drops in red anyway, and you get a couple of these in pack two and three, maybe if you're lucky, and all of a sudden I think it goes way up in value. Um, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I think one of like these card. is pretty good. You think it's pretty good? I think it's not as good. I think it, I think, I, I think it is. Two, like, obviously, two red for plus one, plus zero is... is That is a that is a expensive rate. I think the, 
the firebrand was one and a red for plus two plus zero. Sure, sure. So yeah, again, you're not wrong, but here let's let's okay. walk through it. So first off, there's a, a, a catch them all style card for every color. This is the only mm-hmm. one we're mentioning, and I think this is the only one that's good. So I I think that you not that you can't play the other ones, just that this one stands out to me as like actively good. And here's my reasoning. I need two mana two twos in this format anyway. Like I just I need two drops. I'm gonna have to have some. The fact that I can pump this one up and trade off with a three power creature is kind of a big deal. So I can attack with it in scenarios where I wouldn't be able to attack with a normal two two, threaten activation, deal damage, and then play something else just by itself. Like if if I play this, you play a centaur courser and I attack with it, like you've got to, you know, deal with, okay, if I block, they're going to, you know, use this and kill my centaur courser. And if I don't, they're going to use that mana to do something else. And I'm probably happy either way with that exchange. The fact that they get better in multiples means I actually want all of my two drops in red to be this. So if I have three of these, I'm pretty thrilled. But if it's one of them, the fail case scenario actually isn't that bad. Yeah, see... I think the problem that I have with just one of these is if it is your two drop and you're playing it on turn two, like it's better late game, of course, right? But that play pattern you described of like attacking into my centaur course, or it's like, well, I can block and then you have to spend two mana to kill my thing and I'm up on mana and you can't play anything this turn. And then I get to play a four drop and carry on with the rest of my day. And you're, you're now a turn behind. Do you know what I mean? So like, and I think that's fine. Cause like, you know, we accept that's what, that's what fire breathers do, but we usually see fire breathers that are a little bit better rate in red either you're paying more mana to get more power or you're paying less mana to get plus one plus zero instead and so like yes you know if this was a single red you can It'd make it absurd. a three two trade and then and then still play a two drop that turn but you can't necessarily do that on the early turns you know like in that play pattern that you described so i think you know it's not as good as some of those cards but you're right like you can hedge on this one and you're not punished for hedging your bets on this one and i think i think that's why you're making that point right is you can take mm-hmm. one of these early and if you end up with just one, it's just fine. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm not happy to play one, but if I if I have to play it, I will. It's that threat of activation of getting more, I guess, for lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah. Term, right? So, okay. We're, we're, we're in the same page, I think. You're just, like, two mana, two twos a lot more than I do. Fair. All right. Um, Scampering Scorcher, three and a red for a 1-1 one, one elemental with, uh, when it enters the battlefield, make two elemental tokens. Everything gets haste to all your elementals get haste this turn. Um, that's like bread and butter for your elemental stuff. If you have any kind of Lord or any kind of elemental payoffs, like this is, you're going to want this card for sure. Or if you're looking for something to sacrifice in your black deck, or if you're looking to go wide in your white deck, like there's this card plays very well with all of the themes in the set. That's crazy. I'm just looking at it. It basically touches every color except blue. I mean, there's elementals in blue. Yeah, but there's no lords in blue, right? So you mentioned white, you mentioned black. Obviously, it goes well with green and the elemental theme. You play it in your red-blue deck, too. But, like, that's, you know, like, we're stretching to find a place where it doesn't play well, is my point. Yeah, (laughs) you can think about it like a uh, 4-mana 3-3 split up over bodies with haste, right? Like, you Mm -hmm. just play a a 4-mana 3-3 in a lot of decks and be like, okay, fine. But spreading it out means that it's just going to play better with a lot of the themes. Like, imagine playing that teamer dude uh, that draws cards for elementals and then playing this and drawing three cards. I I mean, I'd be pretty happy with that. That's a true story. 
Anything else in red that I missed, or uh, are we good to move on to green? I just want to mention Shock. It's here. I don't think it's going to be bad, but I've seen a lot of people first picking this, especially if they played in older sets. When Shock was first released in Tempest set, it killed something like 70% of the creatures in the set. Now that it's come back, it doesn't kill nearly as many. That doesn't make it bad and doesn't make it unplayable. It just means it's not as good as it used to be. So that's why I'm liking Chandra's Outrage significantly more than Shock, even though it's it's so much more expensive. It's because it just kills something that matters. Whereas Shock, it, it's always going to trade for a card. It's just it's not really going to trade for something that matters all that much. So like, still pick them and play them. But if you open a pack with you know Shock, Pacifism, and Murder, there's not actually a decision to be made there because Shock's nowhere near the other two cards. Right on. Green. Let's uh, let's blast through green here. I think I think all of these like all of the colors so far look really good. Um, I'm going to be sad because I don't think. Green is going to be the best color, <laughs> just on the fact that we have Murder, Pacifism, Cloud Conceder, like, a lot of good red cards. So I need I, I need green to be good here, Travis. Bring it home. I'll take us. you home. Uh, okay. Can I interest you in a Barkhide Droll? Green, green for a 2-2. Okay. Enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it. Okay. One, remove a counter from it, and it gains Hexproof until end of turn. Neat card. I really... I really like this card just from a design standpoint. There was a card back in like M15 that was green, green for a three, three. Do you remember that one? Cross and something. Yeah. Tusker. I think, I think Tusker. maybe it was a three, two, but yeah, I remember the card. Yeah. And, uh, and this reminded me of that because I'm like, Oh my God, I can get three power and three toughness on turn two and then play like a center courser on turn three. That seems like everything I want to be doing in green. Um, this is a definite payoff. If you're heavy green, because you want to be casting this on turn two as frequently as you can. Yep. Uh, Dave mentioned Centaur Courser. This is kind of bread and butter for green limited decks in any set that it's in. Uh, two and a green for a 3-3 with flavor text. It's good flavor text. This is what I had Ethan do the dramatic reading of in the set review. Uh, so go check that out if you want to hear it. But like, this is always a solid card when you see it. Man, one of my favorite things to do with Centaur Coursers is double block. Oh, Yeah. Like, it's, it's such a good card to double block with. Like, you get three twos and you double block and it's like, you know, you're going to lose two things or like, you know, you, you're, you run the risk of like combat tricks and stuff like that. But you throw like a centaur courser and a two two in front of something and it's really tough for your opponent to get like a two for one out of that deal. So I, I really like the centaur courser. It's a bread and butter common. Um, one of my favorite kind of all-time limited commons even though it's not powerful it's just like man i would play like five of these guys yeah they're just usually good in core sets yep um it's worth noting that feral invocation is in this set uh this is two and a green for an aura with flash enchant creature enchanted creature gets plus two plus two this can lead to some feel bad scenarios and you need to remember green has access to this because there's times where you're like fine i'll block use your combat trick and then they use their combat trick but instead their three three turned into a five five and you're like what you killed my dude, and now I got to deal with this. Uh, so that card exists. Uh, there is a good boy in green, uh, a ferocious pup, two and a green for an O one. When it enters the battlefield, you get a two two green wolf creature token. Uh, we've already mentioned some going wide strategies in basically all of the colors at this point, but specifically Naya ones, and this plays right into that. The sacrifice is interesting too, or the uh, the bone splinters and yep. cards that are like that play really well with a ferocious pup. So keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a key card in green, potentially for people who want to go deep, is Gift of Paradise at Common. 
Uh, this is two and a green for an aura that goes on the land. You gain three life. Enchanted land has tap. Add two mana of any one color. Dave mentioned a lot of powerful double pip cards. There's a lot of things that you might be interested in ramping to. Green has the ability to do that. If you're going to play a green strategy looking to play multiple other colors and splash multiple other things, you probably need to pick up some card draw. There is a divination variant in the set, so make sure you get some of that too. Uh, but I think we could have some silly four and five color decks in, in this set. If you want to go that direction, you don't have to. Yeah, I'm wondering if this is going to end up the most reliable fixing because of the, like the like the lands... Like I said, you're only gonna get like nine or ten lands or whatever in a in a typical draft. So I'm wondering if like for that one five color drafter at the table, like this is gonna be their bread and butter instead of the tap lands, I think. I think so if you're looking to go multicolor. We're not in a scenario like cons where you could get all of the tap lands. I I exactly. did reliably get splashes off of tap lands in the last core set, so I think you'll be able to do that. And remember, if you're playing, you know, blue red and you're looking to splash white a blue red tap land will help you do that because now you can put a planes in the deck instead it doesn't just have to be one that splashes your other color yep. um let's see leafkin druid i think is something to be certainly very aware of uh it's one in a green for an o3 tap for green if you control four or more creatures instead add green green i think this is significantly worse than the druid of the cowl that we've seen before as a one three because it's not blocking particularly well uh but if you want to ramp this is how you're doing it in this format i don't know if there's anything really to ramp to there's some things to ramp to is there okay T- take me take me away then yeah uh it's also an elemental which is like relevant and that it triggers things could get pumped by things uh so it, i think this card is probably worth looking at uh, but there's some seven drops in all of the colors that are actually pretty good. The question is, how are you going to cast them? And the answer is Gifts of Paradise and Leafkin Druid. Otherwise, you're going to die with them in your hand. Uh, we mentioned some good reach creatures in green. Uh, let me introduce you to two of them. Uh, Mammoth Spider is back for in a green for a 3-5 with reach, as is Netcaster Spider. Two in a green for a 2-3 with reach. When it blocks a creature with flying, it gets plus 2, plus 0 oh until end of turn. Death Touch for Flyers on the Netcaster Spider. I really like that card. Um, one of my favorite Reach creatures, I think, in Limited of, of all time. Um, I I like that we have Mammoth Spider, but I'm kind of OG. I'm old school. Give me Giant Spider, 2-4 with Vigilance and Reach instead, I think. That card was so um, much worse than Mammoth Spider. But I liked spider. it more. I love the four. I love casting it on four mana, and the Vigilance was super cool. Um, no, you're right. Like, Mammoth Spider is really good because the reach is almost secondary to it. Like, a 3-5. Just good. Is When you're playing defense, is just so good. Um, and then the Netcaster Spider is a pretty pretty solid 3-drop. I will play a lot of either of those cards, I think, in this format. Agreed. Uh, There's just so many flyers. What did I say? I think 25 flyers yeah. in the format at common and uncommon. So, like, you're going to want these if you're green. For sure. Uh, Overcome is in this set. Uh, this is three green green for a sorcery. Creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and gain trample until end of turn. We last saw this in M and Cat, and it was actively bad. You didn't want to put it in your deck. Uh, and a big problem with that was that format was exceptionally aggressive, and you needed to trade off creatures to kind of maintain uh, a board state. Uh, and it didn't have many cards that created multiple creatures for one card that didn't cost an absurd amount of mana to get going. So you saw flashback creatures there, but like you would need to spend something like eight mana to get a pair of three twos off a card, and they couldn't even be there at the same time. 
Whereas here, we've already seen multiple cards that are creating multiple bodies. So I wouldn't dismiss Overcome as unplayable in this set just because it was the last time we saw it. I think it may actually be playable here, specifically in green-white or green-red. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, is there a turn five kill with Overcome in this format? If you go, if you go one drop into Raise the Alarm, into Pup, and your opponent never blocks anything, and then you're splashing red, and you play the three drop or the four drop Elemental that makes three, and then you Overcome on turn five. I mean, that's magical Christmas land, but sure. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just thinking, like, you know. There's a lot. I just mentioned a lot of cards that work well with Overcome. I think is my point. Yeah. Right. So like I, I can I can see it being a little bit better, but it, achievement unlocked if you can win on turn five with over, Overcome. Agree. Uh, Dave mentioned this card earlier. Overgrowth Elemental is two and a green for a three two. When it enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on another Elemental you control. Whenever another creature you control dies, gain one life. If that creature was an Elemental, put a plus one plus one counter on Overgrowth Elemental. That's a lot of text to say this is a three mana three two with pure upside. You got any more Elementals in your deck? It's going to be pretty cool. If you don't, this is still all right. It's not going to be difficult to have four or five elementals that have good value that you're going to put in your deck anyway, so I'm playing this all the time. Yeah. The, the, it's a no-brainer. E- even if you're pairing with black or white, which don't have elementals on their own, you will still have others in green. Uh, so I, I think that one's pretty good. Uh, yep. Rabid Bite is back. We saw this in the last core set, so many of you will be familiar with it. Uh, one in a green for a sorcery. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. This is not a fight. It is just a punch. It is sorcery speed, so be careful if your opponent has mana up, especially if it's the black, black, and colorless style. Just be aware you can get blown out using this, uh, but it is a solid removal spell for green just to get something out of the way and kill people. Um, people often liked pairing this in the last set with the three mana 2-2 two, two death touch, which I said was just not a good rate for a death toucher because I always compared it to Sedge Scorpion and said we'll never get a card like that again. And yet, here is Sedge Scorpion. Here we are. Green for a 1-1 Death Touch. The Sedge Hammer himself. Um, I love one-mana Death Touchers. They're fantastic. They're absolutely They're fantastic. Because like you can play it on turn one, get in for a few points of damage, trade it off for something relevant later, or just hold back your opponent while you attack them with bigger things. It's just a solid card. Like The worst feeling of, a, of playing a, a one-mana Death Toucher is having to trade it for your opponent's two-drop. Yeah. And even then, that's fine because you're trading your two drops for their two drops anyway. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of suck it up and you're just like, well, this could have been great. And said it was just okay. Like, whatever. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you like value, uh, I've got a deal for you. It's a silverback shaman, three green, green for a five four trample. When it dies, draw a card. I have to work this as being a nickelback reference somehow. Canada's favorite band. It is Canada Day tomorrow. Um, it, this or Rabid Bite? Uh, the first Rabid Bite. The first Rabid Bite, and then the first, and then the first Silverback Shaman. No, then the second Rabid Bite too. But once <laughs> we get through the Rabid Bites, I'm interested in Silverback Shamans. Once there are no more Rabid Bites left, then I want this. Then you want your five four for Trample that trades for pretty much anything in the format that's not rare and mythic. Yep. And then also gets you a card back. Yep. And probably also deals your opponent two damage. Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, It's not an elemental, though. No, it's not an elemental. It is an ape shaman, which is sadly not a relevant creature type. uh, But it doesn't matter when you're hitting that hard. My value on this card is this 
big. He, and I'm making the banana size reference. Yes. Yes, he is. Okay. You got that one. Banana for scale. Uh, Thrashing Brontodon is back at one green green for a 3-4. One sacrifice that destroy target artifact or enchantment. There is enchantment-based removal. There's a few artifacts that people might want to play. But this is also a three mana, three, four, which is pretty dang good because you can beat people to death with it. And if the upside comes up, cool. If it doesn't, they're dead. I'm sorry. I blanked after you said three mana, three, four in green. Basically, that's all you need to know. (laughs) That's all you need to know. Uh, And I think it's also worth mentioning two more. Uh, Wolf Rider Saddle is the green equipment, living weapon sort of thing here. Uh, It's three and a green uh for an equipment that gives a creature plus one plus one can't be blocked by more than one creature has equipped three and it comes attached to a two two green wolf so this is a four mana three three that can't be blocked by more than one creature after that dies you can equip it to something else for three mana giving it plus one plus one in that ability i think this one's quite good too Man, so, like, a lot of the problem that we've had with equipment in the past is just that it's so expensive to equip and you can't do anything the turn you play it. And I love this. I love the living weapon style mechanics that they have here. I think it's really interesting. It makes this equipment worth playing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what it's been missing all along from my time playing equipment. So I know we're not always going to get it and I'm going to miss it when it's gone. But I really like this one. I really like the white one. And I I like the red one. I know the red one's powerful, but I think I like these two more just from a these are the colors and this is the play pattern that I often take anyway. Mm-hmm. So I like getting that extra value out of it and I don't feel bad about putting these equipment in my deck. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about these cards. Dig it. And then last one for me was Woodland Champion. This is an uncommon one in a green for a 2-2. Whenever one or more tokens enter the battlefield under your control, put that many plus one plus one counters on the champion. We've mentioned a ton of cards that make tokens. Like the worst combo with this, I guess, is this into the pop attack with a 3-3 and you can do so much better. Uh, particularly considering raise the alarms an instant. Uh, like, let that sink in for just a minute. That's going to be a pretty sweet play pattern. Yep. Yeah, this high pickup for me, for sure, not as high as Rabid Bite. Maybe not as high as Silverback Shame. Maybe it is, because the upside on this card is so high, and it's an uncommon, and you're not going to see it yeah. later. So maybe I do pick this higher. It's pretty good. It's pretty it good. It's pretty good. I'm going to I'm going to slide it up my tier chart here a little bit. I'm doing it right now. Okay. It is up there. All right, cool. Excellent. And I think that does it for me for green. I don't think you missed anything for me. Um of note, there is a rare uh wolf um lord. So like there's there's a lot of wolves going around. Um a lot of wolf tokens and things like that. So some of those may move up if you have that card. Um but other than that, I don't think there's anything that we missed. And to be fair, the artifacts, like, none of them are busted, at, at least at common and uncommon, that you need to be aware of and go after. There's a couple rare ones that are cool. This leads me to think that disenchant-style effects, actual disenchant is in this set for reference, are probably something you want in the sideboard and then bring in afterwards. Like, the two most playable ones that I saw at common and uncommon were Marauder's Axe, which is an equipment we saw in the last set, but it's gotten worse because Artifacts is not a, a theme for any of the colors, whereas it was before. And Meteor Golem, uh, which is a 7-mana 3-3 three, three, when you play it, destroy target non-land permanent opponent controls. That's almost a green card because you can't just jam 7 drops into every deck. Uh, but apart from those, the rest of the Artifacts looked pretty mediocre to me at, at common and uncommon. Yeah, and then we'll have to see for the disenchant style effects. There was fencing ace 
uh, at what was it common or was it uncommon? I'm just going to check right now. Uncommon in white. Mm-hmm. So I have to see if like the boogeyman of like fencing ace into aura is a thing. But I didn't, as I was going through, I didn't see any particular aside from feral invocations, um, anything I'm... in that three drop spot that was like, you know, two drop into three drop. And now you're taking a million damage next turn There's a... to have to like have those kind of, you know, as a higher pickup or as like a protective pickup. There's a couple of those, but honestly, the removal's so good here. I don't think I would yeah. want to go in on those strategies. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I came down on that one. So I think I think you're fine um, bringing those in out of the sideboard. So probably not main decking them for for best of one. Yeah, that would be my guess. Okay. Yeah. Um, overall, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's high power at, at, at the common and uncommon spot, except for the removal. Yeah, I mean, two mana, three threes are kind of yesterday. And, you know, who would expect a three mana, two one flyer that draws a card? But, I mean, but the, the thing is, is, like, a lot of people don't look at those as being, like, absurdly powerful. Like, they're not mythic uncommons. Like, they're not, like... Th- um, those are people who don't understand what draft is. They're looking to play with five mana, six, six tramples. And that's not what draft is about. So, like, if, if you want to talk about a high-powered set, I suppose that would be one, you know, that that has good rares or mythics is what a lot of people would say. This to me looks like a relatively high powered set because it's got, you know, just solid, powerful cards that you can play with good removal. That, that looks like a great limited set to me. Yes, I, I am with you, but we don't, I don't think we have a lot of home runs outside of the removal at common and uncommon. So, um, but it'll be interesting to see what the play patterns are in the format. Um, genuinely curious to see how it compares to M19. There's a lot of cards that kind of straddle the two sets, like Meteor Golem, for example. Marauder's Axe, I think, was an M19 card. There's a mm-hmm. few other cards as well. Um, but I'm looking at getting a lot of value. I think... I said this about M19, and I don't think it applies here, but M19 was a set where I felt like the skilled players couldn't flex their draft muscles and kind of gain an advantage over their opponents in their pod. I think this set, on first glance, looks like the this will reward skilled drafters and skilled players a little bit more. It looks like there's some interesting, um, you know, deck strategy, like uh, draft strategies you can go through, but also just if you're just a bread and butter drafter and you pick up a bunch of murders and pacifisms and roll your opponent over, like you can do that too. So um, I look forward to exploring the format in the next week. Me too. Me too. And we'll be doing that tomorrow. So yeah, tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to it, I guess tomorrow from today, but tomorrow is yesterday day. What? Yes. Yeah. Anyway, anything else or are we, uh, we're good to go? I think we're good to go. That was quite a podcast. Always is. I love set reviews. We should do this more often. Same time next three, four months from now. Sounds good to me. All right. Uh, thanks to face-to-face games for the support and the host. And where can they catch you streaming M20 next week? Uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash simulin, S-E-M-U-L-I-N. You can find me on Twitter at the same. And I'm at twitch.tv slash dcivilian, that's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter as well. Come and hang out and tell me all about your Corset 2020 experience uh, if you're doing it in the next couple of days. And then we will do a first impression show before the pre-release. I really like that we get to do this online before we go to the pre-release. I feel like I'm extra prepared um, and we'll have some experiences from the next couple of days. So you can share with us your, I guess, sealed decks. I guess we can't really draft in the next couple of days, but uh, show us what you got on Twitter and we'll take a look. So once again, thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Aloha.